Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel message is by Ross Wilson. Ross is one of Ireland's leading artists and sculptors, and a regular lecturer to JBU students in the Irish Study Abroad program. Among his many noted commissions are the C.S. Lewis Centenary Sculpture, in East Belfast, and a portrait of Nobel laureate Seamus Haney for the National Portrait Gallery in London. His work is featured in collections worldwide, including Tate Britain, the British Museum, and the Boston Museum of Fine Art. Ross believes strongly in community outreach through creativity and education. He was recently honored by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, receiving a British Empire Medal for his charity and outreach work. Um, it's great to be here this morning with you. I've come a long way from Akadui in the north of Ireland. And Billy picked me up at the airport. I've never seen an airport car park with so many pickups. <laughs> um, on the way from the airport to Billy's house, um, there were some little hills. And in the pickup, I thought of turning to Billy and saying, is this a hill, Billy? Um, yesterday, I had the honor of being toured around the art department, which is a, an amazing facility. I've been recently at Cambridge University, and I can just say that the department in this college, the art department, is amazing. Um, I couldn't believe the facilities. The art barn is unbelievable. So please appreciate what you have and make use of it when you're here, because it won't always be like this. Um, I want to talk about something really important this morning, a story in the New Testament from John chapter 11. Um, I'm here showing some paintings about the raising of Lazarus, and we're going to read this text about Christ raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. So if you have a Bible or a phone, turn your Bible on, and I'll start to read uh, in John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping at the tomb with the Jews who had come along with her, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here and that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray. God of heaven and earth, we pray for your kingdom, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us to see our vocations and our occupations as woven into your work in the world this week. For mothers at home who care for children, for those who labor in forms of common life in this country, in this nation, in this world, for those who serve in the marketplace of ideas and commerce, for those whose creative gifts nourish us all, for those whose calling takes them into the academy, and for those who long for employment that satisfies their souls and serves you. For each one we pray, asking in your great mercy, give us eyes to see that our work is holy to you, O Lord, even as our worship this day is holy to you. In the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, when I was a child, um, a young boy, in the summer holidays, we loved to play football. We played soccer all day. We'd go out in the morning and play till late at night. Sometimes it got dark and we were still playing. And I remember around tea time, we'd be playing soccer on this field near our house. There'd be about 20 of us. And my father would come out and call me um, because it was time to come in for tea. And when he called my name, no other boy on that football t- pitch responded, but I knew my father's voice. So I came to the calling of that voice because I recognized the one who called me. And in this narrative this morning, we're gonna look at the calling of Lazarus. It's part of Christ's pathway to the cross, but it's a very emotional and very personal account, an eyewitness account of what happened in Bethany. It's a record of a family of a brother and two sisters who lived just two miles east of Jerusalem a loving family of two sisters and a brother. This family was very close to Jesus. He spent a lot of time with them in their home. And Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. They were a constant encouragement to Jesus in his ministry and in his mission. So Lazarus gets sick. Lazarus dies. 
And this narrative we're gonna look at begins with distress and despair and death, but ends with life, delight, and joy. We are never so defenseless against suffering as when we love. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were believers, followers of Jesus. They knew him as Lord. They were well-known and respected in the area, and Jesus enters into Mary and Martha's loss with tears in his eyes, deeply moved and troubled in spirit, but with a perfectly timed, radical, and uplifting purpose in his heart. For Jesus, in this account, it was more important to conquer death than to cure disease. He showed his love for his friend, not by healing him, but by calling him back from the dead. Instead of a remedy for his illness, he offered him the glory of rising from the dead. The power of Jesus over death and sin, the power of Jesus over the grave, points to our own resurrection on the last day. Jesus knew the two sisters would embrace their brother Lazarus again. Jesus gives us hope for future beyond the death to come. Chapter 11 is broken down like this. The sickness of Lazarus, verse one to six. Jesus returns to Judea, verse seven to 10. And the death of Lazarus, verse 11 to 16. And Jesus arrives in Bethany, verses 17 to 32. Then Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave, verses 33 to 46. Around this time in that area, many pilgrims were passing through Bethany, making their way to the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem and many of them would witness this miracle. It was a preview resurrection. The next resurrection would be Christ's. The high identity part in this text are verses 25 and 26, where Jesus says to Martha, and it's one of the great I ams, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Each of us here, will experience resurrection, with God or without God, both believer and non-believer. John's gospel records seven of Jesus' miracles. The first was at a wedding, and this, the last one, was at a funeral. The first was in the midst of celebration and gladness, and this, the last one, in the midst of sadness. Jesus, in this final miracle, will openly display the power of life and love over death. He previously showed it with the daughter of Jairus and the widow's son. So let's look at what Jesus heard in verse three. He heard that Lazarus was sick. Faith in Christ does not preclude sickness and suffering. Mary and Martha did not wait till their brother was beyond hope to send the message to Jesus. And the message said, Lord, the one you love is sick. It didn't mention his name. Christ had a personal love for Lazarus, he has a personal love for each of us, but he knew Lazarus as a friend and he loved him. They made no request to Jesus. It was enough that Jesus should know. The basis of their appeal was the love of Jesus. How did Jesus respond? He knew the sickness would not end in death, that the outcome would show God's glory over power and death. Jesus waited two days. What must those two days have been like for Mary and Martha? They had great expectations. Their expectations turned to disappointment and despair. How hard it is when we are called upon to suffer, even though we have been faithful. When those without faith around us seem to be escaping suffering, sometimes we wonder, 
Why hasn't God done anything to help? Jesus delayed his journey to see Mary and Martha. He delayed it by two days. It wasn't a delay of indifference. It wasn't a delay of preoccupation. It was a delay of purpose in verse 15. He was glad because this gave him an opportunity to illustrate his promise and to demonstrate his power. If Jesus leaves on time, he will heal Lazarus, but he waits until he dies to demonstrate his power over death. Jesus is right on time. Four days late, but right on time. This waiting and the unnatural sleep, the death sleep concept, confuses the disciples. And Jesus has to tell them plainly that Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And Thomas says in a state of confusion in verse 16 to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die also. Jesus had a purpose to reveal who he was, why he had come, and to show he had power to do what he had promised. Jesus arrives. Many Jews had come from Jerusalem less than two miles away to comfort Mary and Martha in their loss. By tradition, they would mourn for seven days. Jesus arrives four days into the seven. The two sisters are caught up in the loss of their brother, caught up in death, caught up in doubt, with questions about love, healing, and power. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21 to 22, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus answered Martha with a promise. Your brother will rise again. Martha believes in the Lordship of Christ. She believes in the further resurrection. In verses 25 to 26, the high identity of Christ is revealed when he explains to her in that beautiful quotation, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha's response, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who has come into the world. Martha then goes back to the house of mourning and calls her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Jesus had not entered the village yet, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. A group of mourners went along with Mary because they thought she was going to the tomb. Mary went to Jesus weeping. When she reached Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet. Her eyes were full of tears. She said the very same thing as her sister. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died if you had been here. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews that had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, touched and troubled to his very core. He sees death's effect on humanity, the overwhelming impact of sin on display in the death of a friend who he loved Jesus is seriously troubled. Four days before, Mary and Martha had saw Lazarus take his last breath. Jesus is in the now moment of their great loss. He is right at the center of their disappointment, their separation, and is saddened and deeply moved. To everyone around at this point, it looks like death is winning. Then Jesus asks, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, 
Jesus wept. This means to sob, to be deeply moved, to show deep emotion in his inner person. He let himself feel the trouble and loss. This friend he loved was dead. There is great inner pain. Jesus understands the pain and suffering of all humanity. He deeply enters in. He understands what death and sin has done to the human race. He feels the pain of Mary and Martha as they face the reality of their brother's death, and he weeps, not mourner's tears. He sees the loss, he feels the loss. This is a shocking outburst of sympathetic sorrow from the great high priest. The great wrath against death is subdued now into his tears of love, of empathy and deep emotion. Jesus shed sacred tears of sympathetic sorrow. These tears show the fullness of his humanity and also a profound and wondrous empathy with human misery in all its form, which he knew lay before him in the grave of Lazarus. The Jews who witnessed this said, see how he loved him. And some others said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? In verse 38, we see Jesus arrive at the edge of the tomb, and he is once again deeply moved. It is not just mere affection or emotion. He is inwardly moved. The tomb was a cave with a large stone laid across the entrance. Christ gave the instruction, take away the stone. He asks others to do this. Caring people can do so much, only Jesus can give life. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Within two days, decay sets into the corpse because the heart has stopped beating. Blood begins to pull in the body, in the low internal places. The body has lost all its heat. The cells are broken down. Decomposition has begun. There are four stages of death. Rigor mortis is one of them the stiffness of death. Palamortis is the first stage. It happens within 15 to 30 minutes after death. It is the first change. It brings paleness to the face due to the end of capillary circulation. Algomortis, the corpse starts to cool. The corpse starts to cool. The warm blooded circulation stops. That is the second stage of death. The third stage is rigor mortis. All muscles become weak, contract, and stay in their position. The complete body stiffens. All the muscles freeze. That process starts within two hours. The fourth and final process of death is liver mortis. This is the final stage of death because the heart has stopped beating. The blood is now at the mercy of gravity and begins to pull in the body. All these three stages of death overlap. Verse 40, Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Your brother will rise now. This was a mental, a massive mental leap for Mary and Martha, that this decaying corpse of their brother would live. Have you forgotten what I promised? If you believe, you will see the glory of God manifest in the power of life over death. By this miracle, you will see his glory as life in life. Mary and Martha fixed their eyes on Jesus Christ. It is by divine power and the interruption of natural law that Lazarus will rise. 
So they took away the stone. The stone had kept the stench of death in place, a protection for the dead. Direct access had now been made, a way had been opened. Light was infiltrating into the tomb and Christ's gaze pierced into the darkness. A space considered to be unclean because of death and because of the death sleep had been made open and ready for the interaction of Christ. Verse 42, now comes the prayer. Jesus raised his eyes towards the heavenly realm and prayed openly a son to father prayer. I thank you that you have heard me. He knows the father's mind. They are in agreement to show the outward sign of heavenly glory. He prays loudly for the benefit of the people who have gathered around the tomb. Mary and Martha have gathered with the crowd and they would now witness a profoundly cosmic and mystical event, a miracle, a pre-resurrection, the reversal of the fall and the defeat of death. This miracle, its origin, instruction and power will consist of only a name and two words of instruction. Verse 43 gives us the detail. Now Jesus stands face to face with death. His eyes pierce the darkness of the tomb. His voice is clear. And when he had prayed, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Here we see the power in the words of Christ. The word of God is calling into the darkness of death. The original meaning translates, he yelled out in a loud voice, within a loud voice. A double statement, a loud commanding voice. Lazarus, come out. The miracle is attached to the voice, to the calling voice of Jesus, to the power in the word of God, which is attached to the Father's will, creating a union, a display of power and glory. The calling of the name Lazarus and the command to come out would have happened within a 60 second time frame and would easily have happened within 20 seconds. This command came from the creator of life. Jesus is life. That is his nature and he has life and he has been life before time. He is the creator of life. Death is not the end. In this miracle, Christ's call, Christ's voice penetrates the very stiffness of death. It reverses the four stages of death in an instant. Immediately, within seconds, life has flourished over death. And it wasn't easy for Lazarus to rise, hit with the word of life. Death had been defeated. Lazarus was catapulted into life. Liberty had been given. Death unlocked. The darkness and the stiffness of death reversed in an instant. What was it like for him to hear the voice of his friend Jesus calling him out of death? What was it like for him when his heart started to beat again? What was it like for him when his blood warmed again? When his lungs filled with oxygen? When he breathed in and out? When his eyes opened? When strength entered his pale, stiff body? What was it like in an instant to have death pushed back to have death repelled, to have life come into you on the voice of Jesus. To see those who love you reach out in hope and wonder and welcome you back. 
Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. The gathered onlookers were stunned out of their minds. Jesus then asked them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the second instruction that Jesus gives to members of the gathered crowd of witnesses. Take away the stone in verse 39, take off the grave clothes and let him go in verse 44. Jesus used ordinary people, both pre and post miracle to assist in his calling of Lazarus. He used them to do what they could do after he did what he could do. It is he alone who can rescue sinners by the sweet liberty of grace. But believers also have a responsibility to help roll away the stone, to let truth in. We have a grace-based responsibility to help unwrap new believers. What result did this miracle bring to the gathered crowd? Well, there were two results. Verse 45, many put their faith in Jesus. Verse 53, the religious leaders hated Jesus. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. Not only that, but in chapter 12, they also searched for Lazarus to kill him. As many Jews were becoming believers and followers of Christ because of the witness and life of Lazarus, they wanted to kill the miracle. The chief priests had nothing to offer but tradition and ego. Jesus, in his love and compassion and concern, calls out to Lazarus and gives him life. That same loud call of Jesus, that call of life still goes out today. It goes out now in this very chapel. Because of the alphabet of God's grace, God's grace is active and not silent. Christ is still calling into our darkness, into our decay, into the tomb of our self-made freedoms, calling into our resistance, calling into our decoys, calling into our sin nature of the fragmented self, calling into the little gods that we worship, that we won't let go of, calling into the fake sweetness of repetitive sins, calling into what we worship. You can worship money, you can worship success, you can worship sports, you can worship art, you can worship beauty, you can even worship education, but none of them will die for you. None of them will save you. Take away the stone that keeps these things in place. Be open to the call of Jesus. He is calling you to himself as he did with Lazarus. This time he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you life. Come drink and never thirst. Come out of your resistance and experience my salvation, my freedom, for only I can give life. All of this evidence demands belief. Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life. I have made a way for you now. The unexamined life is not worth living. And I pray that when you truly hear Jesus calling, you will follow the sound of his voice and come home. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word, for the power of your word, for the power of the word that can call a friend out of death that points to the great resurrection, 
the great life that we have and the great life that we have now in Christ Jesus, our Savior. We pray for the students today and for members of staff as we go out into the world of academia, of study, of learning, of knowing, that you will be with us, that you will touch our hearts, that you will open our eyes, that you will open our ears, and that you help us to follow Jesus in a faithful and loyal way. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and we'd love it if you would leave us a review.